Before we get started, could you introduce yourself? I'm Valentina Turner. I'm Empress of Product at Klaus, which means I lead the product organization there. We used to have a Scrum, Kanban, Scrumban influenced cycle, yeah. but have recently moved to ShapeUp. Why did you decide to move away from what you had before? What I really like about ShapeUp is that it actually puts more ownership into the developer's hands. Mm -hmm. And I believe that developers that can actually participate can be much better partners for product development. I'm really good at understanding what is the problem for the customer, but I'm not a developer. I'm right. not a tech specialist. So right. they usually have better information about how to make something happen. Right. And bringing this closer together is really helping in making more impact in the outcome. Right. Plus, so, by putting designers and developers into working together during the process, we don't have this situation where designers start working on something, create mm -hmm. prototypes, and then it just is lying there because other right. things came up. And then three months later, the interface has changed so much that they can basically start from scratch and redesign what they already designed. Was it an easy sell or a hard sell for the team? Actually, it was a quite easy sell because we weren't super happy with the way it worked before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now with ShapeUp, it's longer cycles, but it's also much easier to speak to everyone else. You can expect something to be shipped mm -hmm. six weeks from now. Mm -hmm. So you can now stop asking me every day when this will be ready <laughs> because nothing will be ready until then. Sometimes things are partially ready earlier and then they get shipped earlier, but at least you have this time frame, which on the one side de-stresses the entire process because mm -hmm. you don't have to justify the entire time what you're working right. on. And on the other side, it gives you enough urgency that actually something gets out of it. Right. And it forces you to be very conscious because yes. it's six weeks. It makes for a much more agile development, even though it sounds longer when you say yes. six weeks. It, it does sound longer, but I think it does help. We see the same thing by having this plan. Anything new that comes up can come after instead of just tumbling in and interrupting everything. But it does also give a schedule and urgency to it. Yeah, and it keeps you honest. Because right. if you have just one team or three teams or whatever, there is a definite number of things. You as a developer, you're going to work right. on this problem for the next whatever weeks. So depending on whether they're already in the shaping cycle or only in the development cycle, this is your focus now. There might be other things like bugs that need to be solved today and that might interrupt, right. but this is your focus. I think that is really helpful also for developers, knowing what you're working yes. for and what is the problem that you're- That was my thing about reading the Shape book. It was very geared towards software development because that's what Base does, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. right? They would write to what they know. We're also using Shape, but we don't write code. We're applying it to non-software development processes. You can adapt it to whatever you were already using. Right. Use the part that makes sense for you. Don't use the parts that you don't need and then run with Fundamentally, it. Fundamentally, it's not about software development. It's just about people organize mm -hmm. and, and how they work. You always have to adapt whichever framework yeah. you want to use. And in our case, we do a lot more user research before mm -hmm. we start shaping. And we do testing in between and at the very end that within the shape up process, they just launch it and then look what happens, yeah. which is not something that we are comfortable with. But oh. that depends probably on 
the company culture of the type of customers that you have. It's a decision that as a product leader, you have to make. There's no wrong way or right way. Right. It's just what are the drawbacks and what are the things that right. you want to commit to? So you run into any challenges with implementing and even teaching people? Shape? Actually, the idea came from the development team themselves. Okay. At Klaus, I'm super lucky with this team because they are super happy to make experiments. And mm -hmm. we very often do stuff like try this out. And if it works... It's great. And if it doesn't work, let's adapt it. And if it doesn't work, let's adapt it again. And if yeah. it doesn't work, let's try something different. Right. Like, so, so does that mean that they convinced you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, convincing. There wasn't that much convincing in there right. because I read the book and it totally makes sense. Okay. It was a joint decision and definitely led by the development team. What was it like to switch you know, from how you had been doing it for maybe since the beginning. Transitions are always a little bit chaotic. Right. And because our plan is to run three, we call it lanes, three parallel teams, but they do not start and end their cycles at the same moment, which means that we started with one lane mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just to figure it out. And the product manager who is in charge of that lane, she was really meticulous in writing down what's working, what's not working, etc. So that when we started the second lane, which right. was when the first one was halfway through, mm -hmm. we already were able to use uh, some of these learnings. Yeah. This means, for example, the shaping, which traditionally it would be six weeks, depending right. on how clear we are already on the problem, mm -hmm. we make it shorter or longer. Yeah. We have a little bit of leeway in there. If we already know a feature very clearly what we're looking for, yeah. a dispute feature, for example, we know what that looks like. There isn't that much research to go into as if you are inventing something completely new. So in that case, we can like shorten it or put it together with another smaller project. Mm -hmm. We really want that flexibility. And interestingly enough, Having this more formal structure of three mm -hmm. lanes, the team doesn't really uh, change within these lanes during one cycle. It has made us more agile in what we are working on because we can now also project much better into the future. Yeah. We know this cycle will be over here and then what's next, what makes sense. We can also move things from one lane to the other, which also helps that people are not always working on the same thing. I do believe for product managers, it's huh? really helpful if they are focused on one part of the product or one right. set of problems. But for developers, and also for designers, it's actually helpful if they switch between lanes from time to time. Right. If developers also can switch between lanes in between shaping cycles, they yeah. know what is going on in the other ways. And knowledge sharing happens on the job and not because you read something somewhere or saw a screencast somewhere. With shape, can anybody define suggest things? Currently, not really, because we are clear on where we're going and what the roadmap looks like. So currently we are picking off of the problems that we know that we want to solve. Right. There is a lot of discussions, how exactly are we going to solve mm -hmm. that, but we don't do three prototypes and then only right. use one. And yeah. maybe it's a size problem that we can't afford to right. fully scope three different solutions and then do one. We prefer to right. commit to one and then develop it quickly, get mm -hmm. it out there, and if it doesn't work, like we'll try something else. We're not going to scope three things, try mm -hmm. one. And if this doesn't work, then I have to start from scratch because too many other things have changed. When it's bedding time, is, does everybody just clear their schedules and that's all they're working on? The prioritization about what we are going to solve ha happens on the executive level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we refine this using the jobs to be done framework into what is actually the job we want this part of the product to be hired for. What is it exactly that we are going to earn? And then it's the product manager 
together with the designer and the development team who actually look into how does this solution look like. Very often, I already have an idea into where this should go or where this could go into. But in the end, I define what are we going to solve and they define how is it going to be solved. And this is the distinction. And I really try to step out of the how because Mm -hmm. I don't want to impose. I try to really not jump in directly if I see there's a question, but actually let them debate it internally because together they usually come up with a way better answer than I could come up with. We're using ShapeUp both internally and with our volunteer teams. We're still getting our volunteer teams up to to speed so the point where we can start doing cycles actually for volunteers that i could see that work for you as a volunteer organizer it might actually make it easier to coordinate because the difficult thing with volunteers is you never know how much time they can actually commit yeah that's a big reason why we did was figure out how to better engage with volunteers so far that seems to be working because the dynamics are different right Mm -hmm. when you're talking about people that are showing up every day to Mm -hmm. work versus the volunteers who, who uh, definitely have to be more self-motivated, right? Yeah. So far, it's definitely an improvement over what we had been doing before, which was mm-hmm. chaotic. Two-week cycles also yeah. allows you to celebrate successes w- much more frequently than if you have no formal yes. structure in place. And for self-motivation, this is a big plus. We have to adapt that a little bit because our volunteer teams meet every two weeks. And so there's mm. one initiative may be wrapping up, but another one may be planning. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's definitely not as structured as the book, but isn't, isn't that always the case? I have written process books myself. Yeah. In the end, you realize that you actually have a process as you write it down because you've never put a lot of thought into it. Right. When you write it down, you realize there are some gaps and sometimes you can gloss over the gap right. and sometimes you just can't invent how you think this should be working. Right. And then the book looks like a really mm-hmm. rounded process, yeah. but in my experience, real life is never a rounded process. And I think that's generally the case with books. A big part of the book was putting together the pitch. Not really closely. What does the equivalent of a pitch look like for you? So for us, because we already know where we want to go for the next couple of cycles, we already know what's going to happen with it. The pitch usually is more, how can we frame this in a way that resonates where we then go back to the jobs to be done framework. We really try to, in that part, go more into Mm -hmm. job stories than Mm -hmm. user stories, then during the shaping part, it actually gets broken down into something very practical and very feature-oriented. Currently, there is no real pitching because this this will be the cycle, basically, and this is what we're going to solve this cycle, and that's that. Where do you see the benefit of this compared to what you were doing before? It would take uh, as long as it takes. Okay. so Because if there is no structure, like there was no two-week scrum or something, like we had the Kanban, and then we would do retrospects every two weeks. Uh But in the retrospects, it would be the things that got launched until that came into okay. the demo and the things that didn't, they moved to the next. So there was no clear structure. So more, see how much you can do. It sounds more relaxing if you can just do whatever you get to do. But in fact, it's much uh-huh. more chaotic and it made right. it very difficult for developers to de- decide which of these tickets is the one that makes more sense right. for like the organization as such. Right. It's much easier for them to prioritize the things right. that show up in their own GitHub. It sounds like the, the big benefit of this is probably in the scoping. In the scoping and in the empowering people to make decisions that they yes. know align with what you're trying to do. Yes. Yes, they yes. feel empowered and I don't have to answer lots of small questions that yeah. I often don't have the answer to because I'm not that much in the weeds. Yeah. But it gives them the power to actually make decisions and 
create a good product. This is standard motivation theory, basically. Right. If, if you feel control over what you're yes. doing, there is a higher probability that you're actually happy with what you're doing. We have that problem too. <laughs> We've adopted the area of responsibility model, right? Mm -hmm. um, to do that. We're also doing that with the volunteers. That was one of the problems. And, and internally, just to help people understand who does what, because what we mm -hmm. find is when it's unclear, then nobody does it. <laughs> with this, it sounds like they're getting more involved early on in terms of before writing code and kind of uh -huh. thinking about the solutions exactly. and scoping it for six weeks. So they also see the connection to the customer. Right. Like right. this whole understanding, why the heck am I doing this? Is this helping? Why right. is this important? Right. And this was missing before. We didn't have this like direct loop back to this is what you're solving. Yeah. That's something that we don't do, but I think it would be really great to like, mm -mm. figure out how do we get into the mindset. Just adding the question, why are we doing this regularly? Mm -hmm is really right. helpful, not for you as the product manager or, or right. a pro program manager, but in general, why are we doing this? What is the end purpose of this? What yeah. are we trying to solve? Why is this important? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you actually come to a point where maybe this is not important. Right. And the sooner in the process, you actually ask yourself the question, whom is this helping? What am I trying to accomplish with this? The easier it is to not go off the rail. You mentioned earlier when you were implementing this, right? You had one of the product managers kind of keeping track of what was working and not working about it. What are some of the things that didn't work so well for you? When you do the first shaping process, mm -hmm. because no one has experience yet right. with this and no one really knows what's going on, it's super chaotic. <laughs> right. You always feel like there's a million details that I should have researched, that I should have included, right. that I should. But right. this is actually where a time constraint comes in really handy mm -hmm. because you will never have all the data. Yeah. And the, at some point, when you have 80% of data, right. then it's fine. The, the difference will not make a uh, substantial difference right. to the final result. By putting this focus on what's important directly, it comes always back to the same question. Why? The classical product question. Right. Why are you doing this? And, and I find this hugely helpful. When you're in the vetting phase or the research phase and you're mm. scoping, are, are the people who are doing that? For the product managers, mm -hmm. it's usually they are overseeing one development cycle because they are always done in development, but they are already researching and shaping with the designers the next cycle. Gotcha. So product managers are basically always working in two lanes at the same time. Gotcha. And probably 70% of their time goes into the research and shaping what right. will be coming up next. Then the rest goes into making sure that something is delivered at the end of the cycle. Developers are in their development cycle. They can see what is coming up next and what is being shaped, especially because at Klaus, we have the super open communication. So everything mm -hmm. happens in public channels. The very first shape up cycle that we did, the shaping happened in a private channel. Okay. And then they realized, oh, damn, you can't add people to a private channel. Right. Or you can't make the channel public and we don't want to add at everyone because that would be overwhelming. Right. So we have decided for the future already the shaping will happen in public channels. And if you are really interested in a specific feature or a spe specific problem, you can just watch what's happening. And there are some developers who are super into the business part of Klaus and who actually look at what's happening and sometimes chime in. And then there are some who are like, well, I trust that you know what you're doing. I prefer right. to dig into my code. And that's fine too, because not everybody needs to uh, do everything right. and read everything. Right.
right. just by making it so open, people can actually sh a little bit shift between what am I interested in at the moment. In principle, developers are in their development cycle, even though they can look outside the box and are very welcome to look out of, outside the box. In the shaping cycle, basically like consultants. Of course, there, we always have gaps between several development cycles. So there is a two week gap until the next one starts for a developer so that we can actually do like code maintenance, all these day-to-day -day things because planning all your development resources into developing new features is a road to disaster. But also for me, it's also a change that I cannot just throw everything and hope that maybe if you work a little bit quicker, you can also do this other thing. But now it right. also constrains me to yeah. be much more conscious about what are my what are my priorities? What are mm -hmm. our priorities at Klaus? Where do we want to allocate these okay. resources? Because the next cycle is still six weeks away. I've seen that for me too, where I can't just rush in with a bunch of new ideas just because it's exciting at the moment. How did your transition go? It was slow. Internally, I think it was, like you said, the first time nobody knows what's going on or how it works. And for us, this is a relatively recent transition. We only got into this a few months ago. I would say that there's lots of things that aren't set in stone yet. How long should our cycles be? Even our processes around the bedding cycle, we're still figuring out, but I think it's gone well, but also slow. I think maybe this is just part of it because you have to go through a cycle to know how to improve a cycle. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I do recommend to take the time to actually yeah. sit down and think about what worked, what didn't work, what are the things that were in our control, which weren't in our control, and how can we basically navigate this for the next cycle? Because otherwise, sometimes you just get used to things that don't work. That's so, fair, right? Because you just kind of just take it for granted. It's something that on the volunteer side, it's even slower, but that's okay. We had to also introduce area responsibilities and then get into the actual shaping part mm -hmm. of it. With the volunteers, how do you know how much resources you have? On the volunteer side, it's definitely more collaborative because the volunteers are also bringing to the table what are they interested in. It's less about having a particular roadmap. I think their shape-up can be really helpful specifically with volunteers because in the end, if you can really define what is the problem you're solving right. and what is the problem that in this cycle these volunteers can solve, then right. you give them the power to actually make the decision yes. how they are going to solve yes. it. You so, can so, basically up the motivation. You have to do that because internally, I mean, at places, I think you could just do it by order. Here's the roadmap. We've already decided it, right? Like now go figure out the rest. I think with the volunteer teams, they're essentially their own lane too. The reason why we have people define ARs is okay, so this is your ARs. So what's the next step? Come back with some ideas. Part of the reasons why we move to this model for the volunteers is to give people that space and empower them to come up with ideas. And but actually go it. even one step back when okay. you're in, it's like, what's the next step? Come up with ideas. Where do you see problems that we should be solving? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do some research. If you help them to define the problem, the brain goes into solution overdrive. You need to be really clear on the problem to actually activate this part yes. of the brain. Help them actually find the problems themselves. And very often they will find problems that you weren't even aware of because they are coming from different backgrounds. That's the thing that we want to set up and enable. That sense of, of looking at it differently and, and thinking about how to make it better. Having that ownership, if an issue does come up in that area, then you are the person, <laughs> it's you. <laughs> it's also interesting the difference between just because you, this is your area of expertise and you uh -huh. own the problem, you don't right. have to own the solution. Right. Like right. you can own the pro problem, but if you're not the best person to come up with the solution, find others that yes. are better at this than yes. you are. 
coming back to the team can pull on the resources and the abilities and the knowledge of the entire team. That's how we're setting that up. But that's still early on. Like we actually have a meeting later today for one of the teams who are hmm. in the middle of their cycle. I think this is a, it's a bigger shift in where yeah. work is going towards because mm -hmm. software development and in your case, basically community development, right. which is in the end, you are managing people. Yes, people. And, and they're like, so many variabilities that if you don't get them on board early on you are losing out of so much potential like of course right. you can write a full scope and be like and now you do this mm -hmm. but right. you're, you're basically only using the mathematical skills of that person which at some point probably an ai can do right. but if you want innovative ideas and actually this is the problem and i need your experience right. your life experience to complement right. my own experience so that together we can come up with something better i right. think that's one of the the huge right. uh, advantages here occasionally people wish that their team was more independent or what, what does it mean though for a team to be more independent well to be able to do more with, with less handholding, less direction. I think if, if you're asking for that right then, I wonder how much are you setting them up to do that? You're yeah, setting them up to take orders and to only do that. So I think that's the key thing with this is the kind of team that you want, the kind of team culture that you want. Right? Do your practices and your values align? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess it also comes in, what does this person within this area need at this moment? Mm -hmm. yep. It depends on people who have been longer on board, have more experience, mm -hmm. probably need more leeway in how you're going. They need the direction, but not the details. While people who are onboarding very often need the details just to feel secure, especially right. in a remote world. Right. Because it's very easy to get stuck yeah. in a remote world. It's, okay, you are new. You don't really know the ropes yet. Right. I'm going to give you the ropes and then feel free to invent or do something different. Right. But this is the framework that you could use if yeah. you wanted to and needed it. So, so I wonder how things are going to change because we're effectively in a remote world now. So many organizations are whether they want it to be or not. Yeah, <laughs> very true. <laughs> but but how, how much that's going to expose things? Are we doing things this way just because it was... It has been this way always. The, the, how do people respond? Some companies are installing more monitoring software mm -hmm. on remote employees' computers and even in their homes because... They can't monitor them. It's very interesting. I, I shared an article by Erin Kazali last week, which yeah. was basically about remote work exposes bad management practices. Yes. And many yes. middle managers actually don't like remote because it's exposed that they have no idea what they are doing. And in an right. office, you don't really see that. Right. If there are clear goals and clear, clear OKRs, then you don't need monitoring software right. because you can just, has this person answered the number of tickets that we expected? her to right, answer right. yes no and then if she didn't okay what might have happened right. oh the she did like loads of really complicated bugs right. this month you need to dig in right right and that's so, work it's right. more work for a manager to be remote than just walking through an open office and be like oh everybody seems to be sitting at their computer so i guess they're working right and i think that takes work that takes almost potentially a different skill set Oh, yeah. it's definitely a different skill set. It's not an opposite skill set. Right. So you can be both, but yeah. it needs to be a new yeah. skill set. And the further you are in the career, the more difficult it is to learn new skills because you think you should be knowing the stuff. Also, if your experience was you had, let's say, 20 years cracking the whip in a galley, that's, yeah, your, yeah. You know, that's your area of expertise. In that situation, it's very hard to say, okay, I recognize that this is something that I need to learn now, even though I already have 20 years of management right. experience. So, because so, the, your ego is in a point where you don't want exactly. to acknowledge that 
that maybe you are now starting out something. That's the biggest challenge in the post-pandemic world. Right. Because now everybody thinks, oh, I have tried remote work. Didn't work for you. No, honey. You've tried remote work in a pandemic. Right. Working from home in a pandemic in Spain, we weren't even allowed mm -hmm. to leave our flats. Kids at home full time. Mine right. were four and a half when it started. Twins. This is not remote. Like it was the most stressful year in my life. And I've been working <laughs> remotely for over a decade. Of course, your placid office life will always look more favorably than remote work. There is a lot of work to do yet. And we'll see because um, many employees don't want to go back to the office. So there's a lot of employers or bosses who are throwing tantrums. But if your employees leave, uh, there's not much you can do. You lose your best employees because right. those are the ones that are going to find better jobs. And there is now an abundance of remote jobs. Especially now because we flipped this giant switch that nobody asked for. You see almost that tug of war right now of people trying to force back in. Mm -mm. the office. I think it's, it's still going to take some time for the dust to settle. It's very, also very interesting. In the media in Spain, one of the media, the main investor is also a main investor into office buildings in inner cities. And this newspaper is only running around how important it is for your mental health to be in the office. If you know the connection, is you're worried that all of your real estate investments. If majority of companies are remote or even hybrid. You need less office space because exactly. you're going to do your company retreat, not in the office. You're going to do it somewhere offsite. Would you ever need everybody to be in the office at the same time or is it only 50%? People don't work when they're all in the office. At Klaus, we have an office in Estonia, but the people in Estonia go when they want to meet their coworkers. Right. But when they have lots of meetings or need to really focus on stuff, they don't go to the office because you get interrupted all the time. Right, right. Thank you so much. It's always great to catch up curious to hear how shape up continues to work for you or how you adapt still in the honeymoon phase right, so right like, I ask me six months from now and we'll yeah. see or a year from now and we'll see how how we have adapted it further awesome. because also as the organization grows we constantly have to adapt our processes because it's one thing to work with 13 people one with 50 and one with 300 are you gonna have eight lanes <laughs> <laughs> at some point right. i would not say no <laughs> thank you too right. bye yeah, bye